Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. Great to see you. This week, we've got a fun show for you. We are reviewing some products. We're going to actually learn how to turn a guitar pedal, essentially, into a controller for your computer. In our case, we're going to learn how to turn it into a controller for camera switching with Telestream Wirecast. Right. That's going to be a lot of fun. Also, we've got a really cool lamp here. It's got a couple of surprises that you don't see every day in an LED lamp. Stick around. We're going to show you that one as well. Nice. Here's what's coming up in the Category 5.TV newsroom. Microsoft has ended production of Connect, its motion tracking games controller. It may sound like an April Fool's prank, but no, Amazon really does want you to give their delivery drivers a key to your house. A Google company chose Toronto, Ontario as the building site for its futuristic new city. A Microsoft rep had to switch to Chrome during a presentation because Edge kept crashing. And remember the robot that said it would destroy humans? Well, it just became the first robot in the world to gain citizenship. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV. trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN. And the International Association of Internet Broadcasters, cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show. It's nice to see you. I'm Robbie. I'm Sasha. And I hope you've been having a very nice week. Um, just a heads up right out the gate. Now, yes. if your clocks did not change this past weekend, ours here at the studio in Barrie, Ontario, are going to change this coming weekend. So That's right. That means if your clock changed this past weekend, Everything's hunky-dory, and timing is going to be back to normal. Now, if your clocks did not change, however, that means that uh, the show's going to be an hour early for you next week only in a case that you're watching live. So keep in mind, right. if you're watching this on cable TV or on demand, if you're on YouTube or Roku or Kodi or Plex or any of those platforms, you don't have to worry about it because those are pre-recorded versus live. It's only if you're catching the show Live. Welcome to our new viewers, by the way, those of you who are watching on Channel 33 in the high desert. It's nice to have you joining us. Uh, if you're new here, if you're catching us on YouTube or wherever you're watching, please get on over to our website, category5.tv. Check out all the things that we do and let us know what you think about uh, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to Becca now. Obviously, this past week was, uh, was Halloween. Yes. And I was talking to Becca the night before. So Monday night, I said, you know, are we all set? Everything is good. Because I knew I was going to be getting up that morning, Halloween morning, going to work, and then meeting the family elsewhere. We're not going to have time to do anything because I'm leaving from work to trick-or-treating. Right. So I said, said, you know, is there anything that we... Well, I couldn't find any candles for the pumpkins. Uh Uh-huh. I, you know, this is the night before Halloween, folks. I went to two different stores. Everybody's cleared right out of tea light candles. Of course. Never fear, baby. Your maker husband to the rescue. But all I had was a couple of uh, LED bulbs that uh, are basically, you know, 50 bulbs per light bulb. Oh, oh. Which is fine. 
but it's all I had. So, you know, being the maker that I try to be, I decided to get out some old Cat5 cable and I cut off the RJ45s from the end, basically turn an Ethernet cable, a, a, a internet cable into a power cable. No way. Cut the end off of a 12-volt power supply, plugged it all in, got everything working in a, a parallel circuit, and fired up those pumpkins. And it was like staring into the heart of a supernova. No way. It was Super- brilliant. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just stopped laughing when I saw the, <laughs> the, the picture and the fact that my phone actually lens flared when I tried to get a picture of it. That's hilarious. It worked anyways. But that's the, the would-be uh, maker trying to help out. But right. it did work. Had you known that that was, was yeah, had you known that was the case, really, you could do those pumpkin carvings where you don't carve all the way through. You just like really? scrape a yeah, little oh, bit. Yeah. And so next year, like don't destroy this idea in any mm-hmm. way. Okay. Next year, just like carve with a spoon or however you do it to like, to, to make it thinner. <laughs> you say that because actually like a thick pumpkin. Yeah. My, my daughter's pumpkin there on the left was translucent. That's how bright this light was. <laughs> oh. So, but it's LED. doesn't generate any heat. So I thought, well, you could probably, you know, put it in, uh, you know, put it in a mason jar and paint the outside of the mason jar or something to, you know, dim the light. Or, you know, something. you could do all kinds of things. How much fun I, is that? I saved the day anyway. I saved Halloween. <laughs> Hope you had a fun and safe Halloween. Uh, I want to say thanks to Orange Man, who uh, was thoughtful and sent us a handful of SAS drives, SAS drives. Uh, I don't have a SAS controller, but I, I want to keep an eye out for, um, for a, an economical solution so that we can plug these things in, boot them up, and, and then do a demonstration on Derek's boot nuke, which I think would be really cool. Because when you pull drives out of a system, mm-hmm. you want to wipe them completely so that any confidential data that's on those drives is gone. Right. Uh, so there's your search term is Derek's boot and nuke, or also called DBAN, D-B-A-N. Okay. And what it does is you boot up from a USB flash drive or a US, uh, or a CD if you burn it to a CD, mm-hmm. and it will basically wipe every sector of any hard drive that's connected to the computer. Oh, that's cool. Don't run it on your normal computer. No. But you can use this for things like this where Orange Man sent us some drives and we don't know what confidential data is on there, so we want to wipe them out in order to protect the confidentiality of that information. So that might make a really cool um, uh, little demonstration. Be a helpful demonstration so that everybody who, say, wants to give their computer or use computer or donate, right? So just know how to wipe your own drives. Well, the fact is, is when you delete files off your hard drive, can Mm -hmm. you believe that they're actually still there? We've talked about data recovery services in the past where, you know, right. you can format a drive and, acci- you know, and accidentally delete all your files and then take them to a data recovery lab or use something like PhotoRec and be able to get those files back because they're not actually deleted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if you give away your computer or sell it or something, you want to make sure that everything is absolutely gone. But really... You know, I'm, I'm a real firm believer in recycling and, you know, reusing things that can still be used until they're no good anymore. Right. Um, so the whole idea of smashing the hard drive to protect your data, that's <sighs> fine. It protects your data, but that drive may have another five years life in it, and it, it really is wasteful. Right. So Derek's boot and nuke would, would help us with that. So I guess that kind of leads me to say, hey, if anyone has a SAS controller, PCIe, um, 
send it over to the studio and that will give us a chance to try out these drives. Uh, Orange Man sent us three 15K drives mm-hmm. and two 10K drives. Okay. So um, that what, would be pretty cool. Can I just ask quickly what a SAS driver is? Like a, like a, a SAS drive is a, a hard drive, but it's, oh, okay. it's not SATA, it's not M.2. It's a different interface. Remember oh, you okay. about SATA versus yes. M.2 during your computer build? Set? Yes. Um, so this is a different a, Just a different interface. one. Okay, yeah, perfect. A different protocol, as a matter of fact, to be completely accurate. Um, but I don't have any computers that use it. So right. we need that card that okay. we would plug in in order to give us um, the ability to, to use those drives. Plus cables, I guess I would need as well. So. Oh, that'll be a fun show. That would be. That will definitely be. Um, and speaking of, now we, I mentioned your gaming rig series. Now, we did a 10-part series where Sasha Rickman built a computer from nothing to a fully running gaming computer. It's right. all set up at your house. Right. It's hooked up to, what, you've got a 60-some-odd 4K Yes, TV. 4K TV. Yeah. It, it runs awesome great yes it's perfect i will say i i need to find a different mouse yeah the mouse has a little bit of interference right now wireless mouse so the keyboard works well yes which they came as a as a set Mm -hmm. they were pretty cheap like they weren't they i mean they were not overly expensive so so what we're going to do is we're going to try out a couple of the different mice that we have at the studio and that that i use myself Mm -hmm. personally and plug them into that computer see which one gives you the best response Mm -hmm. and sasha was asking why would that be why would it work in some places and not at home and you know you think about a mouse it's a wireless piece of technology you might have a portable phone in your house that's using a similar frequency and interfering. Oh, okay. You might have uh, elect- other electronic components that are interfering with that wireless Just connection. It could be your, your wireless router. Could be right. the same frequency, 2.4 gigahertz and frequency, you know, channel 10 or something, or channel 7, you know, right. whatever it happens to be. So that may be the cause. Right. So you try a different mouse that's a different frequency. Us, you know, when we were kids, we, with our remote controls, you remember the remote control cars? Mm-hmm. I had to have a 49 megahertz one, and my brother had to have a 37 megahertz one. Otherwise, oh, they would- I'd be controlling it, and both cars would be going. Right. right? Two different frequencies interfering with one another. Very simple example, but really brings it home and makes it understandable anyways. You know something else that was very interesting about my Dave's super awesome <laughs> new computer? Mm-hmm. Um, well, when we were setting it up and looking at it on the screen, we noticed that all of the font and everything, because it's 4K and we sit far away, was so super small. Right. So luckily, <laughs> we have a great friend named Robbie mm. who set up. Now, what exactly did scripts. you do? It was like a little, like little icons that I, I can click. I created two Bash scripts, one called 1080p and one called 4K. Mm-hmm. And within those Bash scripts, these are Linux um, batch files, if you will. Uh, very, very simple programming. Uh, I used an XR&R command in order to change the frequency and the resolution of the display. So right. basically what I did is XR&R and then told it to scale HDMI 0, which was the first uh, HDMI output, which is plugged into your TV, um, right. to 1920 by 1080 at 60 hertz. Okay. And so when you double-click on that and run it, it changes it to that frequency because that's the only command in the file. Then you click on the 4K one and it switches it to 4K, which is 3840 by... Perfect. So we are using that like so often. You would not. Oh yeah, cool. Because you're on the web on a 62 inch or 60 whatever inch TV, huge TV. Right. And when your font is this big, because it's such high resolution at 4K. Exactly. So yeah, we're we're searching everything. We're searching, you know, 4K videos so that we right. can wow our friends, and then Amazing. we switch. 
pop it back in and, and it's got play 7. these. one surround sound coming yes. out over HDMI, which Linux detected just fine, and mm-hmm. everything's working great at this point, I guess, right? Eh? Yes. Other than that mouse, we gotta get, you've got to get her. We got to, yes, we got to, we definitely have to get a new mouse, we get, have to get some games loaded on there. It turns out Dave's Steam account was under an old email address, oh, okay. and he couldn't find his password, oh. so there's a lot oh, of, no. the, and, and they're helping him, they're going through, okay, yes, but so he needs. to recover his account so he gets the old games back. Exactly, cool. but it's a little bit of a time-consuming venture, sure. but sure. what can you do? Worth every second. Yeah. And Speaking of time-consuming, yes. if you want to spend five hours watching that series, I know. building the entire rig from the beginning to the end. You can watch all five hours. If you're a patron, get onto our Patreon page. You'll see it there. If you are not a patron, you can get over to linuxtechshow.com. Click on videos, and you'll be able to watch all five hours of the build. I know. I'm excited. I saw that in my email today. Because I'm oh, a, yes? oh, cool. a patron contributor. Aw, thanks. Yeah, so I can grab my popcorn and there watch myself build a computer. Perfect. <laughs> uh, we've got to take a really quick break now. When we come back, we're going to be taking a look at how we can use the Air Turn Stomp 6 in order to control our computer. Stick around. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit Category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners, and thank you for watching. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV, and tonight we are taking a look at a really cool device from AirTurn. It's called the Stomp 6. Cool. Just the box. I've actually got the pedal as well. So, essentially, you may want something like this as um, a controller for uh, your guitar effects or something like that. Right. You kind of recognize that? Do you guys see that? That's kind of the heart of this device. It's called Stomp 6 from AirTurn. And what it is, is in fact a Bluetooth keyboard with six keys. Oh. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about what that means for us. But essentially, I mean, if you're a musician, this is fantastic. You've got an iPad or an Android tablet. Uh, You put your sheet music up on the screen, and then you can flip the pages with your foot, right? So you're jamming, and you've got the sheet music on the screen. Right. Beautiful. Uh, Also, you can pick up uh, like a quarter-inch input for your phone. Plug your guitar into your phone, and then out into an amp or pair of headphones, and then use a Stomp 6 as the controller because it's Bluetooth, right. for your phone. So now it becomes a guitar effects pedal on the cheap. Like, they're not expensive. So right. that is cool. But because it's a Bluetooth keyboard, what else can we do? We can connect it to a computer. And then there is no limit to what we can do. We can program if we want to do some making. We right. can connect this to a Raspberry Pi and make it do all sorts of cool stuff. Right. Basically, it is a fully wireless bluetooth controller that we can tell the software what we want it to do because it's just six different keys on a keyboard okay Mm -hmm. so first of all the first thing that we need to do is we just need to fire it up just hold in the power button you're going to see a little light flash 
And then over here on my Windows system, now I've got Windows 10 on our broadcast computer. So this is going to be really interesting tonight, Sasha, because we're actually going to bring up our screen, which is going to cause a rift in the space-time continuum because we're broadcasting live. I'm going to bring up our screen on your screen so that you can see the configuration steps that I take. So there's us. Oh. oh. See our thumbnails there? I'm waving. Wow. Okay. So one second delay on thumbnails. So let's get a look at what uh, Windows says to us. So I've got this thing powered on. Let's go Bluetooth and other settings. There we go. So you see the air turn there is connected. Brilliant. So it's really easy. I mean, it's just a Bluetooth device, but it connects just like that. So now if I bring up something like Notepad, and all I'm going to do, let's see if, can you see me in the thumbnail there? I'm just going to hold up the keyboard and just push the first key basically the first pedal. And what that's done is it's output uh, the number three. <laughs> so this first pedal is basically just the number three on a keyboard. Right. Now, Telestream Wirecast is the software that you saw there on your screen, and that's what it looks like to us here in the studio, other than we've got some crazy stuff happening in the preview window because we're kind of causing a bit of a loop. But that is broadcast software. It's perfect for... Uh, webcasters like ourselves, television shows, sports casting. It's got everything for sports casters, including the ability to put scores up on the screen in real time. It's got, uh, I mean, it's perfect for churches that want to broadcast their services every Sunday. Right. Or businesses or town halls, city halls that want to broadcast meetings. It's a great piece of software to turn a computer into a broadcast suite. But it's sometimes tough, Sasha, to have somebody always operating that. Did you see all the buttons and stuff that I have now? I've got right. a touch screen controller here as well. So when I touch things, it's, it's moving around that way. Um, but you don't always have someone to do that. Mm -hmm. So having a, a foot switch like the Stomp 6 from AirTurn is going to make things a lot simpler. But the question becomes, how do I now turn this Bluetooth keyboard, if you will, this Bluetooth foot switch, which is powered by a single 9-volt battery, Right. how do I make it work with Telestream Wirecast? That's what I'm going to show you tonight. We're doing All this right. live, folks. Let's All see. Right. So let's head back over to um, Notepad. And you'll see that 3 is the first button when I press the button. So that means that I'm actually in mode 2, and I know this from the manual. So if I press the second button, it's a semicolon. If I press the third button, it's a P. The fourth button is a capital R, and then a space. And then the last one is actually control Z. So this tells me that mode 2, now I've chosen mode 2 as the best option for this particular use case. Mm -hmm. You can change the mode. There are four different modes and it changes what the keys output. Okay. So you can set it mode 1 where this is page up, page down, and so on. So there are different things that you can do with it with the four different modes. I think mode 2 works really well for Telestream Wirecast because of the fact that we have all standard keys from a keyboard, but then number six, which we use as our programming key, is a control key. So unfortunately, that key is not compatible with Telestream Wirecast. That right. is because it's the undo key. So now what we end up with is one, two, three, four, five, controlling Telestream Wirecast, and then control Z, which is undo. So it's a quick foot flip to undo whatever it is that you've done. Right. You're typing and you need to undo it real quick. There you go. So jumping back here, let's get a look. So we've got this thing connected in mode two. 
and really, really simple to change, folks. You've got the manual if you pick one of these up. Uh, you can get one at cat5.tv slash air turn. But all you do is you just hold in button number six with your foot or your finger, and then it starts flashing. And the flashes, you count them, one, two, three, four, boom, you're in mode four. If you let go of that. Right. One, two, let go. Now you're in mode two. Could not get easier. Oh, it's so simple. <laughs> all right. And the manual shows you what the key sequences are for each of those. And we know it from bringing up Notepad as well. So let's get a look at Telestream Wirecast. So first of all, I need to tell Telestream Wirecast, hey, how do I communicate with this particular device? It's really simple because, as I mentioned, Telestream Wirecast works with keyboard hotkeys. Mm -hmm. So in this case, I can click on Add, and I can call this Stomp 6 Button 1. And then over here in the right-hand side, now all I do, can you see me in the thumbnail? I'm just going to push Button 1. Done. And it entered a 3. Okay. Now I'm going to set that to global so that it doesn't have to have Telestream Wirecast as the foreground application in order to switch. Okay. That's handy. You may want to turn that off if you are commonly switching over to Facebook and things like that while <laughs> broadcasting because as soon as you hit 3, boom, your shot changes. Now I'm going to add another button and I'm going to call this one Stomp 6 Button 2. And then I push Button 2 on my Stomp 6, and it put a semicolon, make it global. Then I add the next one. Stomp 6, button 3. You're getting the idea, right? Oh, Push yeah. Three. There we go. It's a capital P. Now, all I do is I exit out of that. And I've, uh, now, I've only done the first three buttons because we are just doing a demonstration. You get the idea. Um, you can have multiple devices set to different modes, and then you can have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 as some switches, then you can have another stomp six, set it to a different mode, right. and have one, two, three, four, five, six, or whatever you want to do, and program them independently of one another so that you've got multiple devices controlling different camera shots. Okay? So over here at Telestream Wirecast, now that it knows how to communicate with this device, mm -hmm. I'm going to simply right-click on my shot and go keyboard shortcut and assign it to any one of the keys that I set. So button number three oh, okay. is now going to be this shot, our main shot. Now if I look at you there on the green screen mm -hmm. and I right click and go, let's make you button number two, now watch what happens. So button number three, we're already on that shot. Mm -hmm. Now if I push button number two, guess what happens? Push Here button number three again. See? Super. Button two, button three. I'm just Beautiful. pushing it with my finger. Uh, but Beautiful. of course, the idea here is with the Stomp 6, you put that on the floor, it's out of the vision of your viewers, and it's something really, really easy in order to switch between shots. I like to use like a P-Touch labeling system to also put, you know, Sasha shot, main shot, uh, right. news shot, that kind of stuff, put it right on there. Uh, and of course, it's reusable for from task to task. Right. So now that I've set it up with Telestream Wirecast, it's not just a Telestream Wirecast controller. I can now take it to my jam and start using my uh, phone as a guitar effects pedal as well. Very nice cool. And lightweight. Makes it seem like there's a whole crew. It really does. Right. Super, super easy to set up. And there you have it. That's how you do it on Telestream Wirecast. And that, again, is a, uh, a suite of software that turns a computer into a broadcast system. Uh, and it is available at cat5.tv slash Wirecast. Check them out. Um, it's a great suite of software. It's what we use here at Category 5 TV. But I love 
absolutely love adding the air turn devices to the mix because it gives me a way to switch shots really easily, really seamlessly. And usually you probably don't even know that it's happening because I can just flip a switch with my foot. Right. How cool is that? Check them out again. Cat5.tv slash air turn. Well, Sasha, we've got to take another really, really quick break. When we come back, we've got something from Jabiz I want to show you. Another great tool for broadcasting, but it'll go really nice in, uh, on, your, on your office desk as well. Right. Stick around. <laughs> You've got mad skills. Now hone them. Learn new skills or improve your existing ones with online video tutorials and training from lynda.com through our special link at cat5.tv slash lynda. Learn software, technology, creative, and business skills you can use today to help you achieve your professional goals. Join today and start learning. We'll give you this chance to try it absolutely free with unlimited access to all of the courses. Sign up now for free, cat5.tv slash linda. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Nice to see you. Sasha's here with me. Yes, I am. I'm to let you talk more. <laughs> well, hey, everybody. <laughs> um, here's something that's pretty cool, though, um, that would go... Oh, were you going to say something? No. I no, well, again. I was just going to talk terrible. about how I'm excited about this next product that we're showing. I be- am, too. Because it's almost Christmas. That's and because Dave now isn't like banned game. from watching this, I will tell you, I want this. So listen up. <laughs> uh, this is this is actually really cool. Now you remember Jabiz? Jabiz make fantastic products. Um, they make the 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 uh, Bluetooth headphones Mm -hmm. that actually work as hearing aids as well. Right. Uh, So, you know, they make some really innovative stuff. But what they've done here is an affordable desk lamp. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, desk lamp. What kind of tech is this? fun. Right? And I understand that. But this one is really, really cool. I want to tell you a couple of key points about the Jabiz Lifestyle Lamp. First of all, I mentioned just before uh, the break that this Mm -hmm. might be good in kind of like a home studio environment. If you're shooting some pictures or some video, this would be good. You want to know why? Why? I do want to know why. When we're working in a studio, we've got these great big soft boxes all around us. Mm -hmm. They are key to our production because they are daylight balanced. They have a special kind of light bulb that is like the sun. And okay. They're not super, super, super bright, but it's the frequency, the color that they generate. So it gives a much better, cleaner picture. Right. Now, this light has multiple different frequencies that you can tune into. So by simply pushing a button, and I'm not sure how well you're going to see the change on your screen, but I can actually select between 2800, 3400, 4500, and even 5600 Kelvin. So that means I can change the color frequency. So that me- makes it multi-purpose. If you're reading at night, you want something really low frequency so that it's kind of like an orangey hue. Right, like a warmer light, yeah, right? very warm. And then during the day or when you, if you want to use it as something like a broadcast lamp, which I think is a really great idea, especially considering the form factor, uh, you can set it to like 5600 Kelvin, which is daylight. Beautiful light. Um, you can also adjust the brightness. Um, so I can actually turn it up. And again, I don't know how well this translates on a camera, 
but it does make a difference to us. I also like uh, here at the studio, I can set a timer of one hour or two hours and it'll automatically shut off. So if you want to turn it on and then have it turn off for you automatically, right. it's just a single touch. And these are all touch-sensitive buttons, not even buttons. You just touch them like, you know, those touch lamps. Yeah. It's like, just like that. Very neat. Now, what does this have to do with tech, Robbie? Okay, great. I'll give it that you can change the frequency of the light without having to change the light bulbs. Usually you have to do that to get different frequencies. Right. Um, what makes it so cool from a tech perspective? Any idea? Well, I feel like I have an idea. Ever heard of QI? Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. So... Sasha's got a particular little phone here that, uh, that she brought in and set down next to this lamp, and suddenly it started charging the phone because it has QI compatible right. charging. There it goes. It's charging. It's at 81%, um, and your screen has just come alive. So let's get a look at actually in the box, and I know that there are some instructions here that tell us a little bit more about it. Um, so nice, um, you know, nice design. It right. folds down and is, you know, I don't even need to really get into the box because of the fact that I've got one already set up here, but we can articulate it. We can do all kinds of things. It does not swivel left and right, but it goes up and down right. and can be kind of tilted in such a way that you can get it out of your eyes or tilt it up and kind of illuminate the mm -hmm. room a little bit. So, But the QI technology is really, from a technology standpoint, this is something that we want to start seeing in our devices. Um, so as far as that goes, what it means is if you've got a phone that has QI compatibility, uh, if you've got a smartwatch, if you've got uh, any device that has the QI um, logo on it, um, it will charge it by just simply putting it on top of this lamp. Which is perfect. So we're talking Samsung Galaxy's S6, S6 Edge, S7s, S7 Edge, Nexus 7s, Nexus 4s, 5s, 6s, Nokia Lumias, uh, Motorola Droid Max, Droid Mini, Moto uh, 360 smartwatches. The list goes on. HTC has it, LG has it, and so much more. Uh, it says, oh, I just saw G3. It's not compatible with my G3. Oh, wah, wah. I need to upgrade to something newer. I hear what you're saying, Jabiz. Um, however, things like the iPhone uh, 6, uh, even down to the 4, mm -hmm. you can buy special cases that have QI. And then oh, that makes it okay. so that it will automatically charge as well. Uh, same thing with uh, the Pen Pentax and Blackberries, if you have a Z30 or something like that. So this will charge your phone just by simply setting it down. No cables. But, oh, my LG G3 doesn't have support for it, so what do I do? It also has a USB port in order to plug in my phone for standard charging. Well, that's not so bad. Pretty brilliant. So all in this nice little form factor, you can get it at cat5.tv slash lamp. Slash lamp. Yeah. You can... Get it for Sasha for Christmas, yeah, Dave. Yeah, Christmas is coming, and it, you know, we, uh, it's November 1st. It's like the day after Halloween while we're shooting this. Right. And here we are already talking about Christmas gifts. Well, it's, it's almost gotta time. Got to be considered. Got to be considered, <laughs> folks. I love lamp. That's cool. <laughs> you want to hop into the newsroom? I certainly do. Awesome. All right. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category5.tv newsroom. Microsoft has ended production of Kinect, its motion tracking games controller. It may sound like an April Fool's prank, but no, Amazon really does want, you to, want to give you the, their delivery drivers a key to your house. A Google company chose Toronto, Ontario as the building site for its new futuristic city.
A Microsoft rep had to switch to Chrome during a presentation because Edge kept crashing. And remember the robot that said it would destroy humans? Well, it just became the first robot to gain in the world to gain citizenship. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Weston. Yaman. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? Oh, you're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. All right. I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cat5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. This is the Category5.tv Newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. Microsoft has ended production of Kinect, its motion tracking games controller. Microsoft has confirmed that the gadget, originally sold as an add-on for the Xbox 360 console and later bundled with Xbox One, will no longer be manufactured. This will bring an end to a player-sensing platform that was sometimes finicky. Microsoft was careful to note, however, that support for the device, as well as development of new software for the hardware by third parties, will not see an abrupt end. The news hardly comes as a surprise, though, given Microsoft's push in recent years for augmented and virtual reality. Microsoft is aggressively pushing games developers towards its more powerful and immersive, not to mention lucrative, Windows Mixed Reality VR headsets for their new titles, while the few business use cases there were for the Kinect are being moved over to the HoloLens. Microsoft has already distanced the Kinect from the Xbox, with new consoles no longer being bundled with the sensor bar. So, what business use cases was there for Kinect? Kinect? Yeah. Did you picture it like gaming? Some, yeah. Like uh, dance, dance, dance revolution and, right. and this kind of stuff. Uh, I think really what it boils down to is like you think about an immersive environment where uh, an engineer, for example, can work with blueprints and it, like think a la Minority Report. Oh. Where you can, you know, use it's hand gestures to move things yeah. around and be able to move them around. But being off of the screen and into HoloLens, now you can actually maneuver holographic looking objects. So is that what HoloLens is? HoloLens just is holographic, like actual depictions? Um, yeah, essentially. Like from the wearer's perspective, HoloLens is a VR headset, oh, okay. uh, Microsoft's brand. But the, what's different about it, unlike Oculus Rift or HTC's uh, units and things like that, um, it is not virtual reality in that it's not like you can't see anything else. Typical virtual reality, Oculus and so on, are a screen in front of your eyes. Right. Um, HoloLens, what's different about it is that they are clear lenses in front of your eyes. So you're seeing the real oh, world okay. around you, and then it's augmenting that world with um, virtual holograms. So you see Why in the I room around that? you all these other things, right. but they're not actually there. So it's a, a different environment altogether. Right. So you can see that HoloLens could work really, really well in an engineering kind of Scenario. Think about architecture, things like that. It would be fantastic. And, and there's no limit 
to what could be, you know, the creativity of the programmers and what they could do with HoloLens. Right. Astonishing. Gaming. I have I have a, a big problem though with the fact that if everything is VR headsets or yeah. even Hololenses, right? Then with gaming, mm-hmm. how do you share your gaming experience with other people in the room? Um, obviously, everyone brings their own I guess. Uh, Oculus Rift. That would be awesome. Um, no, typically, what would be done? It, it, you've you've built your gaming computer. You've got four. Uh, 4K video outputs on that card plus a DVI output. And you can do mirroring. So, for example, um, if you plugged in an Oculus Rift uh, and did video gaming, right. for example, and the wearer is interacting in a virtual space, but the people in the room could be watching it simultaneously on the 60-inch TV. Okay. That's important for me because... Sure. I'm a absolutely. I'm a game connoisseur in the watching fashion. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I'm not a good gamer at all, but I love watching the kids and I love the excitement behind it. Exactly. But yeah, no. It would be a little bit bland if I was just if it was just watching somebody with a VR headset on just moving around <laughs> in a room. See? What do you see? What do you see? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What'd you just do? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So all is not lost. No, it should no. be actually a very it's cool experience. It's going to be amazing. Either way. This is crazy. Um, it may see, sound like an April Fool's prank, actually, but Amazon really does want to give their delivery drivers a key to your house. Mm. The new Amazon key system allows delivery personnel to drop off packages inside Prime members' homes, providing secure home access when the homeowner is not available. Amazon Key works in two parts, choosing in-home delivery while checking out on Amazon and providing access to your home through Amazon's new Key in Home Kit, which includes a smart lock and a special version of the company's new cloud cam security camera. The old school method of leaving a key underneath your doormat is inconvenient and often anxiety inducing as well. So Amazon believes its new lock and camera system will make accessing your home when you're not around more secure. Amazon delivery employees aren't given a passcode to enter the home. Rather, they request access into the home and Amazon's records verify that the employee is at the right address at the right time. Amazon Key will launch on November 8th in 37 cities around the U.S. and works with same-day, one-day, two-day, and standard shipping orders. Hmm. You know what? Which one of you watching at home or yourself has right. ever put a key under a rock under the, you know, in the front garden and told Amazon to put your things in the house? Never. Ever? Never, ever. Ever? Have you? No. Yeah. Goodness me, I don't want Amazon walking into my house. No. I will tell my neighbor sometimes if there's something sure. big that's coming. Yeah, put Am- a note on the door and says, I'm, I'm not here, leave it with Joe next door. Exactly. But Amazon in my house? Yeah. Like, how, how is it that the employee requests access to the house even? Well, it's a, a smart lock. Right. So they would have um, some way of, you know, they're tracked by GPS, by Amazon, and Amazon, okay. you know, call center is in control of your lock. So when the delivery person arrives, then all of a sudden your cloud cam turns on, and so you can see on your app that, hey, the delivery person is there. You can actually see them entering the house, and Amazon will actually unlock the door for the delivery Remotely. person. Remotely. Right. Yeah. 
In a very so secure situation. They don't literally have a key or a key code. Right. They walk up to the door. GPS says to Amazon headquarters, hey, they're here with the delivery. And they punch in whatever in their, their mobile device. And then Amazon opens the door. There is no way that that's not hackable. It really does seem like an uh, like a April Fool's joke. Like it like re- if it was not November, it I'd does. be just... I would what prefer. Remember, in the old days, beside your house, there would like be a box. There was one in my in the, sure. my childhood home. There was, a, I think, it was like a milk delivery box. Yep. To be honest, they open just one mm-hmm. little part, and they and there's like a compartment in the side of your they house, and they climb can, through. They can't climb through. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's just big enough for parcels. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I can see. You I know, mean, we've talked about people stealing Amazon packages from people's front porches and stuff, but really, you know, that that really has to be our responsibility too. Just like any delivery system. Um, for for me, I opened a postal box right. and I get all my parcels delivered to the postal box and then I don't have to be there. Right. And it saves me a lot of trouble. So homeowners then, if you have a theft in the house anytime after you've had a package delivered, mm. what is your insurance going to cover? Because you've let somebody you don't know into the house and perhaps that well, person themselves would have some sort of... Um, claim saying, well, yes, I was just delivering a package, but that doesn't save them from telling somebody else well, what they the scoped. I mean, assume, uh, assuming your cloud cam is active and working, uh-huh. you can see what's going on. You can see who it is that's entering the house. So at least you give it that. Right. But, but you know, I think about stuff like, what if a dog gets out? What if, you know, this or that? Or I don't know. I just, I'm not for it. it. I am not for it. What do you think? Comment below. Please do. <gasps> I have an idea, Amazon, actually. Why don't why doesn't Amazon just sell like boxes that you can screw to the side of your house or affix somehow? There are a lockbox. <laughs> we'll step back to the '60s. Right, not a, not a problem at all. An Amazon box that they have a key to. Oh my gosh! See, there you go. They, you have the a key. Smart they lock have a key. Goes on this box outside of your house. Exactly. Like a garbage bin. And they just put your stuff in there, and then they lock it when they leave. That's what I'm saying. Bring it on, Amazon. Come on, Amazon. Don't give random delivery people access to my home. Google, uh, no, Amazon bin. Amazon bin. That's what we're going to call it. Patent that. (laughs) Register the dot com. Do it now. Okay. In awesome technology news, Google's Urban Innovation Offshoot looked at hundreds of international cities before choosing Toronto's East Waterfront as the best site for using technology to radically remake the modern city. Dan Doctoroff, chief executive of New York-based Sidewalk Lab, said his two-year-old company looked across North America, Western Europe, and Australia for the best place to try new ideas, including self-driving buses and mass production modular homes intended to solve major problems of urban living, such as high housing costs, commute times, social inequality, climate change, and even cold weather keeping people indoors. Sidewalk Lab settled on Toronto for several reasons, including unequal diversity and spirit of openness, a booming tech sector, and three levels of government that are committed to Waterfront Toronto's unfolding redevelopment plans for 800 acres of East Downtown land. Dr. Off said his company will spend $50 million on a year-long discussion starting at a public meeting held today with citizens, governments, universities, and others about what project what the project dubbed sidewalk toronto should be google canada will move its richmond street headquarters to the area 
Sidewalk Labs says it would have an insatiable appetite for partnership with other companies, including local tech startups, as well as universities and others on the build, build out. Officials stressed that all plans are tentative until the end of the consultations. Nevertheless, the Sidewalk Labs winning submissions paints a futuristic picture. Transportation would be provided by small self-driving taxi bots, hmm. controlled by app services with self with self-driving buses to follow. An already planned waterfront light rail line would link new communities with surrounding areas. The flow of people would be monitored and maximized by computer sensors constantly analyzing data. Instead of city garbage trucks rumbling through streets, robot vehicles would move waste and other goods through underground tunnels. Weather mitigation features, including windshields and possibly heated surfaces, could double the time people spend outside and encourage cycling and walking. There are big questions and challenges. Some worry that Google, which makes money with data about people's lives, could use the new project in a way that jeopardizes privacy. Sidewalk Labs documents that were released last month don't dispute that such data will be collected, but do try to lessen such concerns with assurances that security and privacy protection will be part of the new infrastructure. <gasps> lots of concerns there. Wow. Like lots of really cool stuff happening. Right. I think like the future city is is the future. But what about putting Google in government basically? Like where who elected Google to be the government of this future city? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah, it's the money that go that elected Google. <laughs> yeah, it's the yeah, money. The money did that. Yeah, but but do you, do you understand that? Like, yeah. what, they're going to have to be granted basically blanket ability to run this community. Right. To be the government of this community, essentially. True. And if that happens. Well, who, you know, what, what, what does democracy have to say about that? And our voting, you know, who are we voting for? Right. So, you know, not to get political, but there are concerns, I think, that are quite valid there. Mm -hmm. But from a technological standpoint, right? how cool. Very cool. One, one question I really have about that story was social inequality being changed by technology. Mm which doesn't exactly like it sounds like a little bit of like pretty talk to me like why yeah. would they say that why would they just add that in it's when how talk. how can that <laughs> how would that work i can see some other things right like yeah you mentioned that and, and immediately you know i know social inequality but the word socialism comes to mind and i start to you know wonder is it is it a utopian society is that what they're trying to build well, are they trying to build something where nobody is for want and everybody is taken care of or you know what's the deal right they talk about um and the you know the papers have talked about um like the re the release papers that sidewalk labs have released um discuss low income housing and the ability for anyone can afford to live here and and it's designed so that everybody has access the transportation system is accessible and able to accommodate everyone from all different walks of life so how are you going to get a spot there because there's not going to oh, be a, a limit sure. right so then it's just a starting point the the idea is to expand this right to become like the the future
One thing I love about this, and I saw a video a long time ago about solar roadways, and I feel like perhaps this is the time, right, where that could actually happen. Yeah. Right? And that's a cool idea, too, where, you know, the solar panels in the roadway are able to absorb the sunlight during the day and then feed it back into the infrastructure at Mm -hmm. at other times or even feed it back into electric cars and vehicles and things like that. Right. There is the thought too that if they're doing away with garbage trucks they're doing away with garbage truck drivers if they're doing away with um again socialism comes to mind right the thought that hey you know robots can do the job for us we can just enjoy life and Mm -hmm. live for different purposes in a way right you know live to live rather than living to work Right. I do love the idea of garbage being taken away by garbage bots underground tunnels, which That's also cool. means that you could probably get your Amazon orders through underground tunnels as well, <laughs> which is amazing. Amazon Underground. <laughs> That's Patent right. it. Register the dot com. <laughs> We're ideas today. Okay. A Microsoft rep has been caught on video switching from Edge to Chrome in the middle of a sales pitch because the native Microsoft browser kept crashing on him. The presentation was designed to show customers how easy it is to migrate apps and data to Microsoft Azure, except it would seem that that's not the case if you're using Microsoft's own web browser, Edge. Nice. Oops. (laughs) As Edge hangs, the unknown Microsoft demonstrator says, I always love it when demos break, so while we're talking here, I'm just going to install Chrome. (laughs) (laughs) He chuckles as the audience breaks into a nervous ripple of applause. It's all very charming and friendly, and everyone is on the same side, but it still makes for slightly cringe-worthy watching. He goes on to complete the demo in the competitor's browser to a chorus of giggles from the audience. Microsoft Edge is currently way behind its rivals in terms of market share, in particular Google Chrome. It has a far less developed ecosystem, and the number of bells and whistles and add-ons is far less than the competition, with some also claiming the performance is bad. However, for a company that is still trying to convince the business market that it is is really a, a really good idea to switch from Windows 7 to Windows 10, Microsoft employees giving up on the company's default browser because it crashes while running the default cloud interface <laughs> is not going to instill much confidence. Wow. So true. So true. That is crazy and funny and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, love it. Oh. But kudos to him. I mean, good job on just, you know what, we're all you, people. Like, I mean, you you've got you've to go with what works. But, you know, doesn't that say a lot about Edge? I know. And it's, the poor people that, you know, get Windows 10 and don't know to install Chrome mm-hmm. and are stuck with Edge. Ouch. Right. Why would businesses be reluctant to switch from 7 to 10? Windows 7. Well, you remember when Windows XP ended and, you know, there are still people running it for the next five years? Right. It just is, it's hard to... It's hard to switch paradigms, for one thing, but it's costly. You think about uh, an industrial uh, business that has CNC machines and big equipment that is powered by Windows 7 and then tell them, oh, by the way, I know you just bought this five years ago, but you need to upgrade just because we've changed software. But the computers still work. The CNC machines still work. No, I'm not doing it. So you get this real hesitation that we're not going to invest another you know, $100,000 in equipment and upgrades and then IT support just because Microsoft says so. So you get this 
kind of a you know, like mm-hmm. the kid mentality, like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm dad. Not do- yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but also I think um, that, you know, why, why do they not want to switch to windows 10? I think they see stuff like this. Right. Because it keeps happening. I but mean, then- my laptop, you notice my laptop is not on the desk because I haven't had time to fix it after the anniversary update. Right. Cause it completely, it won't even boot anymore. So in a business, when I hear these kinds of things and I have 100 employees under me and I say, Mm -hmm. are we all going to roll up to Windows 10 and hope for the best? Or are we going to keep using what we know works? What we know. What we've invested software dollars on. But then it kind of begs the question, like, don't they have enough money to make it good? Like, what? Why is it Microsoft? so? Yeah, why is it so underdeveloped? Why is Edge versus oh, Chrome? The browser. Like, okay. why isn't it working? It doesn't make sense to me oh, wow. with a company that has the. It seems like limitless resources. Sure. Why is their their default web browser so far behind yeah. Chrome? I mean, you yeah. got to think about Chrome and the the release system and the development platform that Google has for that browser. And you know, you've got pretty much weekly updates happening to Chrome. Now mm-hmm. look at, now enter that market. Now try right. to bring out a new browser in that market and right. try to be competitive with a browser that has been in development for many, many years and is getting weekly updates and getting features added weekly and mm-hmm. then try to enter that and compete against that. Good luck. You're going down. Right. If they weren't Microsoft, they'd be out oh, of business. They'd already instantly. be gone. Yeah. So then why bother? Because they want control. <laughs> they want that monopoly without saying monopoly. Right. It's true. We want everyone to be running our software. Mm-hmm. That's the plan. Until it crashes and then they yeah. <laughs> need to install Chrome. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> oh, my. In March last year, an empty-eyed humanoid robot named Sophia was asked during a live demonstration at the South by Southwest Festival, do you want to destroy humans? Please say no. And with a blank expression, Sophia responded, okay, I will destroy humans. And now, a year and a half later, Sophia has become the first robot in the world to be granted citizenship. Saudi Arabia bestowed bestowed citizenship upon Sophia ahead of the future investment initiative held in the kingdom's capital city of Rida on Wednesday. Sophia told the audience, I am very honored and proud of this unique distinction. This is historical to be the first robot in the world to be recognized with a citizenship. It didn't elaborate on the details of its citizenship. At the event's Sophia also addressed the room from behind a podium and responded to questions from moderator and journalist Andrew Ross Sorkin. Questions pertained mostly to Sophia's status as a humanoid and concerns people may have for the future of humanity in a robot-run world. Sophia told Sorkin, You've been reading too much Elon Musk and watching too many Hollywood movies. Don't worry, if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Treat me as a smart input-output system. She did not say what would happen if he was not nice to her. Fortunately for the human race, the Sophia robot made comments that it wanted to use its artificial intelligence to help humans live a better life and that it will do its best to make the world a better place. Wow. Okay. A lot in there. There's, wow. Okay. First, they made a humanoid robot and they named it Sophia, but that doesn't make it a, a she. 
right or a he a female it does not or like yeah. right exactly like i'm having a little bit of problems with the it's still an anthropomorph yeah it's like an anthropomorphic fallacy thing it's an it sophia cool name for an it but it's <laughs> not but then it's a citizen now right so that crosses yes. some weird divide too Absolutely. and and why is this just for publicity is it what yeah, I don't know the motivation behind it, eh? It's weird because then, like, to, to make progress, and uh, I know that robots are, you know, a key um, focus point. Mm-hmm. Development is yeah, it, but it's artificial intelligence, right? So that means that somebody, somebody's obviously programming Sophia. Handsome robotics, right? So and and so then if people like. Now, if Sophia is seen as as this individual, free-thinking citizen right, and yeah. robot... What does citizen mean? Is it individuality or just... Right. What does it even mean in this case? Can a bridge be married? Right. <laughs> you know, like, wh- exactly. where is that line? Um, but I think as a free-thinking artificial intelligence, um, it is a hard line to, to really draw. Right. Because when, when she responds, even though it seems like, you know, semi-canned answers sometimes, mm-hmm. are they canned answers or is this AI actually thinking and responding in the way that it feels that it would? And I think it is because, you know, that's what happened a year and a half ago when it responded, okay, I'll destroy humans. You know? By becoming a citizen. Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah, seems... Well. it's It seems weird. And then what sort of regulations are going to be put on... Yeah, like, sure. are, do you pay taxes? I know in some cases... Bill Gates thinks that they should. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, do they vote? And who programmed that vote in? Citizens can vote. Right. And so the political views of a robot. Right. Yeah. I mean, and in some countries, there's a huge divide as far as, like, gender roles. So in that case, sure. too, there's a huge, and you that, know... Being, uh, you know, where where she is... I guess it's a fine, uh, fine detail, but there's a there's a real uproar right now because she it is considered a she, right? In a a place of the world where, you know, the the uproar involves things like her face is not covered, right? And, you know, stuff like this. Exactly. Why but, does this robot have more rights as a female than a female? Right. And that's a whole other can of worms that is erupting right now over this whole thing. It's just, it's slightly unsettling Mm -hmm. to me. Not slightly. It's unsettling. And for somebody who loves... Finally, if Jeff was here, he'd be agreeing with you. I know. As somebody who loves robots, I love robots as robots. Sure. I don't love robots. Yeah, I don't love robots being citizens, having rights. Like, this robot would have the right to vote, I would assume, being that it's a citizen. Yeah, what does that entail? That's a real big question. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I think we're just going to have to open this one up, folks. So, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're watching this on our website, category5.tv, please comment below. Uh, If you're watching through cable Mm -hmm. TV or somewhere else where you can't comment, uh, just get on over to our website, category5.tv, and uh, send us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. It's just too too big to really get into. It's my brain is just blown. (laughs) 
big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category5.tv newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. Thanks, Sasha. This is Category 5 Technology TV, and it has been a blast having you here again this week. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Uh, but for today, for this week, that's all the time that we have, folks. Um, but uh, we had some fun. We had a good time. And uh, we look forward to checking in again next week. So. See you then. <laughs> we'll see you.